earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, our prequel countdown to the Advent Christmas season is underway. Ready or not, it's coming, and it's sneaking up on us rather quickly. Recall that there are years when the last Sunday in November kicks off this four-week prelude that for us 21st century Christians really does help us prepare for what we now refer to as Christmas. But this year, the first Sunday in Advent is the first Sunday in December. And you've heard me say that before, growing up in a mainline Christian denomination helped me appreciate the annual cycle of the Christian year. This included the seasonal themes that were reinforced and which especially deepened my understanding and significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the claim Christianity makes for Christmas is that at a particular time and place in human history, God himself came to visit us when Quirinius was governor of Syria. In that little town called Bethlehem, a child was born who, beyond the ability of anyone to imagine, was God himself now becoming humble and helpless. The one who inhabited eternity came to dwell in time. The one from whom none can look at and live was delivered in a stable feeding trough under the soft and different gaze of farm animals when this yeshua who we know as jesus made his humble entrance in that unassuming stable the sky burst forth with singing angels because something new was brewing on planet earth the father of mercies put himself at our mercy well friends the overarching theme of our november prequel is something new was brewing on planet earth our last session was part a the three a's of advent Today, Part B is A Season of Newness, and the actors and actresses who step onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama called The Christmas Story are probably very familiar to most of us. There's, of course, the superstar, not meant disrespectfully at all, Jesus Christ himself, or the Christ child, or baby Jesus, who plays the leading role. Then there's the supporting cast of characters, among whom we find the most notable, Mary and Joseph, parents of baby Jesus. Mary, to whom the announcement came before she was married, via the angel Gabriel, that she would be the one to give birth to the Messiah. And Joseph, who makes a cameo appearance in Matthew's Gospel, initially a concerned and troubled fiancé, who was told his betrothed was with child, without his participation. Additional supporting cast members would then include the shepherds, whose routine it was to watch over their flocks by night, or even the angel who appeared to them and subsequently became part of the 
multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And who could forget the famous governor of Syria, the man whose name most children and even some adults stumble over when reciting the Christmas story recorded in Luke, Quirinius. Quirinius who? Of course, another name that will live in infamy is the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that is, from whose lips the decree went out to take a census throughout the empire. You may recall that it was this very census that drove Joseph and Mary, late in her pregnancy, from their hometown in Nazareth to Bethlehem, because it happened to be the city of Joseph's ancestry. And of course, we got to include that unnamed innkeeper in this supporting cast, who will forever remain shrouded in mystery this side of eternity. The only clue we have to his part in this Christmas drama is this one sentence in Luke 2, 6 and 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. By the way, friends, manger is a kind word for fodder crib or feeding trough for animals. It was likely filled with regurgitated straw and warm saliva. No wonder Jesus was quickly wrapped in cloths. Then there's the wise men, who would certainly qualify as supporting cast members, astrologers likely from a priestly caste in the media Persian region, who watched the stars and interpreted a particular configuration of stars or constellations as predicting the birth of an important king. These wise men would naturally connect us to an additional significant supporting cast member, the infamous Herod the king, who in his paranoia and insecurity over the threat of a new king born on his turf issued an edict to execute all male children two years and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding territory. And friends, we dare not leave out the notorious chief priests and scribes who could quote the Hebrew prophecy where the Messiah was to be born, Micah 5.2. Yet did they go to greet and worship their Messiah, their newborn Savior King? No! These chief priests and scribes seemed to succumb to the same paranoia and insecurity Herod succumbed to, since a newborn king messiah would undermine their religious power base and their spiritual authority over the people. After all, friends, they liked the status quo. They didn't want their religious control disrupted or overthrown. But they were a little more patient than Herod. They waited 30 years to plot Jesus' execution. It's interesting, only during Jesus' public ministry was their underlying motivation brought out into the open. And it's interesting that only Matthew's the one who sneaks in his editorial comment after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Remember now, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. You might be thinking, how does the Sermon on the Mount tie in with the Christmas story? Well, it's Matthew's summation of Jesus' sermon that gives us a clue to the scribe's mindset. In chapter 7, 28, and 29, we read, 
The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Did you hear that, friends? Thanks to Matthew, we learn Jesus taught with authority, an authority that common people recognized as being different from their own scribes. So, friends, this becomes the basis for the Jewish religious leaders' growing suspicion of Jesus. He had been chipping away at their very own religious authority, a power base they will kill to maintain. Well, let's not leave out Zechariah and Elizabeth in this Christmas drama's supporting cast, the soon-to-be parents of John the Baptist, and the angel Gabriel's visitation to Zechariah in the temple. When Zechariah was struck dumb by Gabriel for not believing that Elizabeth, who was barren, was prophesied to become pregnant and bear them a son. In addition to them, let's include Simeon, who, after Jesus was presented to God in the temple, prophesied over Jesus and brought a blessing to Mary and Joseph. Or how about Anna the prophetess, who, being in the temple at the time of Jesus' presentation, began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, per Luke chapter 2. But I dare say, friends, that we rarely, if ever, consider how the first Christmas impacted a character who, in my opinion, also deserves to be on the stage of this great and wonderful drama we now affectionately call the Christmas story, because the first Christmas had a profound effect on this person, an effect so radical it has reverberated down to the present time, an effect so far-reaching it has significantly impacted how we've defined the way we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we relate to him in our life of faith, an effect so all-encompassing that this person would cast off the old clothes of the law of Moses, don the righteous robes of his Messiah, and exclaim, to live is Messiah, to die is gain. Well, by now, friends, some of you may have already figured out I'm referring to Saul of Tarsus, or as we've come to know him, Paul the Apostle. And interestingly, Paul's Christmas aha moment actually occurs in his letter to the Galatians. Recall this one-liner in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Wow! Paul's Christmas story is only one sentence. You see, friends, the the permanent solution to humanity's sin problem was embodied in this baby Jesus, this Son of God, born of a woman. The heart of the Christmas message actually pops up in several of Paul's amazing aha moments. In other words, in his carefully crafted Christmas one-liners, as I call them, like this one in Galatians 3.19, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Or how about this one in Second Corinthians 9.15? You know it, I'm sure. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
You see, friends, Paul doesn't need a birth narrative or lengthy account of the baby Jesus' entrance into the world. He has these incredibly charged, spiritually enriching one-liners, doesn't he? And these distinctive Pauline one-liners are in keeping with the customary Christmas accounts found in the Gospels regarding the purpose of Jesus' birth into the world. In Matthew one we we're told an angel of the Lord said to Joseph in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. In Luke 2.11, the angel's message to the shepherds was in part, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This would have been heard by the original audience as Messiah Yahweh or Messiah God. So friends, Messiah's entrance into the world Christ's entrance into the world, we know it as the Incarnation, signaled for the Apostle Paul a season of newness, which is today's Part B title in this prequel miniseries leading up to Advent. In the spirit of the musicians from DC Talk, Paul realized that God was doing a new thing. So I propose to you, friends, that this is precisely what Paul intended to communicate in another of his well-known one-liners in 2 Corinthians 5.21, but wrapped up in verses 17-21. through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Messiah, not counting people's sins against them. Then he continues, We are Messiah's ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin, or a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now the word creation in these verses carries with it both the act of creating and the product created. And this is why English translations alternate between creation and creature. And it becomes evident that this idea of newness really captured Paul, as it's seen in his repeated usage of expressions containing the word new or newness, as it relates to the ministry of Messiah in bringing salvation. Well, let's pause here, friends. If you just tuned in, you're listening to A Word from the Word, with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners, as a word from the word is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital in helping keep this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, and you who may have been hurt by the institutional church. Please join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at awordfromtheword@minister.com. We're living in challenging financial times, and ministries are not immune from these challenges. A Word from the Word is still seeking to become fully funded, and monthly supporters are needed. We'll repeat this information at the end of today's program. Well, friends, here's a few more of Paul's one-liners I love. Galatians 6.15 Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. 
Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life or walk in newness of life. And here's some additional reflections of Paul on newness. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Don't you know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of that old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Peace here referring to reconciling or uniting Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 4, 22-24 Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, it's certainly evident, isn't it, that for Paul, a new world was born. Literally, a new order in the world was being instituted. Old things and old ways of doing things have really passed away because something new was brewing on planet Earth, which is what this umbrella theme over our mini-series to Advent is called. You see, friends, the Christ event, as it's called in theology, was very significant for the Apostle Paul. And for a quick review, by Christ event, we mean the total package, the total life of Christ as it was manifest in his birth, life and ministry, death and resurrection and ascension. And the Christ event also included the understanding of God becoming a human being, poignantly expressed in the Hebrew word Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So, for the Apostle Paul, this Christ event signaled a season of newness. It also signaled a season of fullness. Recall Galatians 4.4, When the fullness of time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law, the law of Moses, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So I propose, friends, that the revelation of and the historical coming of Jesus, the Messiah, triggered Paul's mind to realize its newness. And it was the newness of God's revelation in Messiah Jesus that prompted Paul to recognize its fullness, fullness in the sense of fulfilling a long-standing plan of God. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, He, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Messiah to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, or regarding his plan of the fullness of the times, to bring all things together in Messiah, things in the heavenlies and things on the earth. These very sentiments of Paul echo the words of Jesus when he began his public ministry. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, we read, And after John, this is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Repent and believe in the gospel. Paul also seemed to recognize this Christ event signaled the inauguration of God's end-time program within human history. And so this Christ event represented the fulfillment of promises made long ago by God to the nation of Israel. Paul begins his letter to Titus with, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Messiah, for the faith of God's chosen and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, of faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at the proper time, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. This Christ event became the ultimate and final mighty act in a series of divine redemptive acts in Israel's history. For a Jew, and particularly Saul turned Paul, this was quite a revelation. (laughs) You see, friends, 2,000 plus years ago, something new was brewing on planet Earth, and the challenge for us 2,000 years later is to celebrate not just Christmas, in other words, just the birth of Christ, but the newness that Christmas brought and symbolizes for us, because that newness brought our newness. It's so easy, isn't it, friends, to fall into the pattern of merely celebrating a past event, but the past event will lose its power and impact if it's not brought forward into our lives in the present, in the here and now. And friends, I believe at least one key message from this drama known as the Christmas story that we can bring forward in time and live out in our day-to-day lives is this message of newness, especially acting it out during the season that's coming in just three more weeks. In other words, celebrating our new life because Christ has come. Why not wake up every morning expecting to do something new? Dr. Randy Carlson, counselor and founder of Intentional Living, a ministry of Family Life Radio, once challenged his listeners, his audience, with, don't be a living routine, be a living creation. Clearly echoing the one-liner from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Remember it? If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. Friends, an emerging rock and acapella band from the 1970s and 80s, Glad, wrote a song called In the First Light, which begins, In the first light of a new day, no one knew he had arrived. Things continued as they had been, while a newborn softly cried. But the heavens, wrapped in wonder, knew the meaning of his birth. In the weakness of a baby, They knew God had come to earth. Well, friends, as the Jewish people in the first century had a sense of anticipation and expectation in their longing for the coming of their promised Messiah, why don't we develop a personal, family, and or corporate sense of anticipation and expectation ourselves and build this into our daily lives as we prepare to celebrate this upcoming Advent Christmas season? So let's be especially careful to not get plagued by 
or sucked into the fake news version. You know, that commercialized and merchandised version that's marred the Western world celebration of the Advent Christmas season. And let's take full advantage of this month that's before us and begin prepping our minds so as to reclaim the true meaning of Christmas so we can proactively prevent the coming holiday's spiritual reality from being torn away from us. Well, friends, as the threshold of this Advent Christmas season will soon be upon us, I'd like to pray for us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for us. Unbelievers live all around us. Lord, may we live in such a way that our lights shine bright around them, that they will see what you have done and are still doing, and then glorify you on the day you visit them, and reveal yourself to them in the name of Jesus, the Messiah of the world. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, and I hope it's been both inspiring and challenging for you. As promised, we'll close the program with an email where you may share your feedback, as well as inquire about helping fund a word from the word, which is listener-supported. I love coming alongside you who are without a church home at this time, or you who have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. You may also access podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net, a word from the word is broadcast in over 70 countries. If these teachings are inspiring you to grow and study God's word more carefully, please invest in our mission. During these economically and financially challenging times, Christian ministries are not immune, so please consider coming on board and joining our support team. A Word from the Word is seeking to become fully funded, and monthly partners are still needed. A big thank you to those of you who are already financial partners of A Word from the Word's weekly broadcast. I truly appreciate your faithful support. Well, thanks for listening today, friends, and remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com Say the word.